to see you this morning. We so appreciate you being here today. Those who are joining us via live stream, welcome. Let's stand together and sing this morning. We'll make a joyful noise as Brother Ken comes to lead us. Amen. This morning we'll do Victory in Jesus. All three verses today, that's Victory in Jesus. Thank you, 
Brother Ken. Let's remain standing for prayer this morning. I want to give you just two or three prayer requests, uh, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Please, uh, of course, pray for Brother Mike Carroll's family in the home going of his brother-in-law. Pray for that family, if you would. Our two fellows in our church, Brother Donnie, Brother Eddie, who are dealing with cancer treatments. Pray for Sister Doris. Her son, Donovan, Brother Daryl Donovan, was sharing with me this morning. Uh, I put out Wednesday night that they were having to make some tough decisions, but uh, she showed some signs of improvement, so we praise the Lord for that. Continue to lift her up in prayer. And then please pray for Brother Kenneth Hicks, that's Sister Sherry's brother-in-law, uh, who, a brother, excuse me, Sister Sherry's brother, who comes to church here, uh, been diagnosed with pancreatitis, and boy, that's a tough, tough condition. He's having a difficult time, so please lift him up in prayer if you would. Pray for the services today, and I was reminded of this this week. Uh, the holidays are a joyous time of year, but for a lot of folks, it's also a challenging time of the year. Let's pray for those around us who are in need of the touch of the Lord. Father, we love you today, and we are so thankful to be in your house. We're thankful that we can call upon that name that is above every name, the name that who's mentioned that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. We come today to worship him this morning. We come today to lift up that name, Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful for what the time of the year represents, what it stands for, and I'm also thankful for the reality that that baby in a manger was born to become a lamb on the cross. Blessed now as the choir sings, the specials uh, that will be sung, the prayer requests that have already been mentioned, and the preaching that will come in just a bit. We pray that it would all lift up that name Jesus, uh, for you've promised us in your word, if we'll brag on him, uh, that you will draw men and women unto you. We're going to take you at your word today. Bless us now and all that we do in the sweet name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Listen to the choir. What a beautiful song. Brother Ken does such a good job. You listen as we sing.
of you understand that when Jesus is all you got, that's when you realize he's all that you need. Amen. What a good job this morning, choir. Thank you so much. Several announcements I want to give to you this morning. Don't forget this coming Saturday, teens and young adults will be hosting a teen and young adult celebration at our home, uh, the Chatham House, right here behind the church. Address is right there. We're looking forward for a good time, some food and fellowship, and uh, an ugly Christmas sweater. I'm going to tell you I'm going to win it. When you see what I've got, that's on me. But uh, we're going to have a good time. You uh, mark your calendars this Saturday, 6 o'clock. We'll have a great celebration together. This coming Wednesday uh, will be our final Awana for this year, of course, just for the calendar year. The following Wednesday, December the 22nd, we'll host an outdoor service. We are sure looking forward to that, so put that on your calendars. Then Awana resumes on January the 5th, uh, so uh, we'll have a couple-week break during the Christmas holiday. Really special announcement. We are looking for uh, a couple or two individuals to occasionally help us out with Junior Church. Uh, uh, James and Anna will be going next week on their honeymoon, so we're looking for someone to help us out. If you would be willing to occasionally assist, and that will just be occasionally, uh, I'd sure appreciate it if you'll see Miss Leanne today uh, so we can get that lined up. Please mark your calendars for January the 10th. Uh, we'll be uh, taking part. So honored to be asked again at the Jimmy Dillon Memorial Winter Jubilee at Shining Light Baptist Church. Uh, that is at 7 o'clock in Winston-Salem. I need to put the church in there. Our choir's asked to sing, so put your calendar on there. Put that on your calendar if you would, choir, uh, and then we'll give you more announcements as we get into January. Our 2022 tithing envelopes are available. If you use the uh, tithing uh, envelopes, please uh, see Brother Scott and Miss Leanne. Of course, many of us use the online system, but if you use the tithing envelopes, those are available to you. Senior Saints are leaving today at 3 o'clock uh, to head to Roanoke, and then on uh, December the 16th, leaving at 1 o'clock for the Charlotte Motor Speedway, the Christmas lights, and I sure appreciate you guys doing that, Brother Scott, Miss Charlene, and, and taking over this ministry. Uh, I am so glad that God gives us places of service. Amen. You uh, you uh, be obedient there. All right, uh, fellas, come on, make your way down if you would, please. Uh, Miss Marcia, you come on, those that are singing with you, uh, and uh, the Lord will bless you. You be obedient with his tithes and your offerings, and we're going to pray. Lord, we love you today, and we count it a privilege to give us unto you. Lord, bless the choir. That's bless the singing now in Christ's name. Amen. Choir's already sung, but we can bless Marcia. Amen. Come on, Miss Marcia.
grew up uh, listening to Naomi and the Sagos. That's Marsha and the Cool Bros right there. Amen. That's pretty good, y'all. That good. sounded great. Gorgeous harmony. Let's stand and sing one more time. Come on, Brother Ken. That's good. Let's sing Joy to the World this morning. We'll do the first and last verse of that song, Joy to the World. Joy to the world, the sin. <laughs> Let's do that again. My mind is in 27 different places for some reason. Hey Amen. I'm singing all kinds of lyrics, just making up my songs as I go. Vernon's with me, though. He's trying to help me out. Hey Amen. Let's do this again. <laughs> Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive. You can be seated. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, we're going to have the kids go down in just a second, but I want them to hear this song. Brother Ken's going to sing, and then uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Kids, you'll go down right after this song. Come on, Brother Ken. Amen. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of things in this world that uh, leaves you kind of guessing and second-guessing and, and wondering why, or leave, maybe, even maybe leave you feeling a little uncertain. There's one thing that I am sure of and I am certain of. God will never fail you. He'll never fail you. It's okay to sit back sometimes as God's child and scratch your head and say, Lord, what am I doing here? Why am I in this place? God, there's times in my life where I don't even feel like you're around. But one thing you can rest assured of, you can find it everywhere in your Bible. He will never fail you. I promise you that. I can't tell you a lot of things, but I can tell you one thing. God will never fail you. I know he'll make ways when it seems there's no way. I know he'll make a way. It may not be the way that you want it, but it'll be the way God wanted and the way he designed. And I promise you today that he will never fail you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know why God had me spit that out. That's why I was a little confused when we sang Joy to the World. I was sitting over thinking about some things. But I know this morning, God will never fail you. He's never backed out on a promise. He's never broken a covenant that ever set up. Every promise in the Bible he's ever made has come true. Every prophecy that has been prophesied has come true. God is still on the throne. He's in control. He's in charge of everything. Every president we've ever had, every senator we've ever had, every governor we've ever had, he's put them in place. Sure, we vote them in, but he puts them in charge. He sets up the kings and the princes and the governors and all these other places and people. And I'm telling you right now, God is in control of this world that we live in. We're still breathing his air. We're still drinking his water. He's still taking care of us. We woke up this morning. We had our head on a pillow, a bed to sleep in, had a roof over our head, had a good family around us. You need to be thankful for the things that we have and what God has done. And I can promise you this morning, 
He'll never fail you. Pray for me as I sing this song this morning. In the mess of this old world, sometimes I just need a word from heaven that everything's okay. I try to walk by faith, but sometimes I'm so afraid, and I cannot see how God can make a way, but then I think He's never failed me, never left me, not one time have I cried out, and my voice it was not. As broken as you feel, all your troubles, they are real, and I know you feel that God's forsaken you, but child, don't lose your faith, He is working while you wait, so just hold on, cause He will bring you through, He's never say amen to that church. Amen. All the kids heading to junior church, come on, make your way down this morning. I wanted them to hear that song to be reminded that the God that we serve is always in time, on time, every time. You come on this morning, kids. 
Those who are thinking about helping us, we have the curriculum for you for Junior Church, so don't worry about that. But if you pray about it, let us know quickly. We'd sure appreciate it. Keep playing a little bit, Mr. Man. Sunday, of course, James and Anna got married Friday week, and last Sunday, <clears throat> one of the little ones came up to me uh, right before service started and said, Preacher, both of my teachers got married Friday. <laughs> I was like, I was there. <laughs> Amen. I love you. I love kids. This will put a smile on your face if you haven't turned to Matthew 2. Go ahead. I was telling Renee uh, last Friday night that when Nick and Lydia got married, they went and uh, we went and, you know, got measured for the suits and all of that about three months in advance. And then Renee and I started dieting. So by the time I got my suit, it was really big and had to be taken up. And then when James and Anna got married, I had just the opposite problem. Can anybody say amen to that? <laughs> Oh my gosh, I put that suit on and I said, one of these buttons is going to become a projectile if it pops off. It's going to take an eye out, I can promise you. Matthew chapter 2 this morning. This is a story that is so often associated with Christmas. In fact, it is the story behind which we attempted to dramatize two years ago in, in our Christmas drama. Boy, I miss those. I'm trusting God will let us do it next year. This was the story that we attempted to dramatize and show clearly a presentation of what we often think of as the story of the wise men. While it is a Christmas story, most scholars believe, and I'm one of them, that the events that we're about to read actually unfolded some two years after the birth of the Christ child. I'll show you some biblical evidence about why we believe that. What I want you to note this morning is that these scholars, these learned men, the Chaldeans, these so-called wise men, made a journey of what was likely some 18 months to two years in search of one thing, the king. They had biblical knowledge enough to know that the star that was rising was evidence of the biblical forewarning of the birth of the Christ child. So these wise men, these scholars, these learned men left behind their homes, their families, and made that journey uh, some hundreds of miles by foot for what would surely have taken at least 18 months, but likely closer to two years, all because they were in search of the king. 2,000 years later, people are still looking for him. Would you look at me? I'm glad I found him. I'm not looking anymore for somebody that's going to serve as my king. I found my king. I'm not looking anymore for anything that's going to give me a feel-good feeling. I found the best feel-good feeling there is. I'm not saved by my feelings, but you look at me, it sure feels good to be saved. I'm not looking anymore for something that will satisfy. I have drank from the fountain of living water and never need take another sip of anything ever again. I'll give you a message this morning I'm entitling, Looking for the King. Let's read uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born, king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. 
When Herod, the king, had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule over my people. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. He said, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. I love verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come, notice what it says, when they were coming to the house, doesn't say manger, doesn't say inn, it says when they come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. You'll note also that Joseph is nowhere there to be found at this moment. Fell down and worshiped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country. I like this, another way. When they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. Be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. There was until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken out of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, finally, verse 16, when he saw that he was mocked, the wise men was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem. And in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Let's go ahead and read the next two. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy, or we'd say Jeremiah the prophet, saying in Ramah, there was a voice heard lamentation and weeping in great mourning. Rachel weepeth for her children. Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. Father, thank you for your presence this morning. Lord, it's already been good to be in your house. But Lord, now I pray that you'd bless the preaching, that you'd use the outline that I believe you've laid upon our heart. Use it to be a blessing to your people. Lord, as always, if there's anyone here that's never accepted Christ as Savior, may this be the day, the moment, the hour that you beckon them and they answer that call. Lord, for all of us that are saved, may we leave here today like these wise men, rejoicing with exceeding great joy. We love you today. Bless now the preaching time in Jesus' name I pray, amen. What, what comes to mind when I say the word wisdom? For a lot of people, and 
secular world, the word wisdom, intelligence are synonymous. My Bible tells me in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the holy is his understanding. By all accounts, these Chaldeans, these learned wise men were some of the greatest scholars of the day. In fact, one might even say that they were what we think of today as a think tank. Their job was to study the heavens. They were astronomers. They understood uh, the calculations of the stars. And when that star appeared, uh, that unusual star appeared for the first time, they were wise enough to know that that was a different star. And and they had the biblical Old Testament knowledge to realize uh, that that had been foretold, that had been prophesied. And so they decided when they saw that star uh, that it was time to go and greet the new king. It's not unusual for Chaldeans to greet royalty. If you'll, if you'll let me put it this way, it was part of their job description. Very often um, in that part of the world when a new royal child or grandchild or someone who would uh, one day ascend to the throne would be born, it would not be unusual uh, for the Chaldeans, these wise men as we call them, uh, to make that trek, uh, to greet that royal family, uh, to begin taking the lineage, uh, to copy down uh, so that the scribes would have the correct information. So what was not unusual was the fact uh, that they were going for the birth of a child, uh, the birth of a king. What was unusual uh, is they didn't know just who they were looking for. They were searching for the king. Some 2,000 years later, even during this holiday season, people are still searching for the king. You hear me this morning. Christmas is a glorious time of year, but it can be a challenging time of year. It can be difficult to to try to get everything done for those who've lost loved ones during the year. It can be heartaching. It can be challenging to recognize there's an empty seat at the family table. But would you listen to me? Can I give you just a little bit of good news? Christmas is not about what's under the tree. Christmas is not about the family celebrations. Christmas is not about the tinsel. It's not about how much you spend or don't spend. Christmas is all about who was nailed to a tree, and when you recognize that the real meaning of Christmas is not found under the tree, but on the tree, Christmas has a brand new glorious meaning. These wise men were searching for the king. I'm glad I found him. Four things I want you to look this morning. Number one, note with me, if you would please, their curiosity. Their curiosity. Go back, if you would, please, to our text beginning in verse number two. The Bible says that, well, let's go back and read verse number one again. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, became there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born? Note this, King of the Jews. Note, if you would, please, they saw a distinct wonder. How do we know what the wonder was? They go on to say, for we have seen his star, his star. Can we just stop a minute and say, amen, his star. We have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. 
You see, when that star magically appeared, majestically appeared, incredibly appeared, these, these learned Chaldeans knew enough about the Old Testament to realize that the star meant, that had been prophesied by Jeremiah and others in the Old Testament, the star meant that the king of the Jews had been born. And so uh, these learned men uh, purposed their journey uh, for one reason, to come and worship the king. Let me, let me say something that is for some little controversial, but I'm, I've got Bible to back it up. We don't know that there were three. <laughs> we make an assumption for a couple of reasons. We know that there were more than one because the Bible uses the word plural, men. But the Bible doesn't tell us how many there were. There could have been two. But we often say three because of their gifts, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But there could have been 20. There could have been 30. It was not unusual for them to travel in large groups. There could have been quite a few. But we do know that these learned men, these wealthy men, these, edu listen, these educated men, these scholarly men, some of the brightest minds of the world today came to worship the king of the Jews. We're in a part of our culture today where unfortunately uh, faith has seemingly become a, an emotional crutch for weak-minded people. People with high-valued education seem to think that you can't be smart and be a person of faith. Would you look at me this morning? Some of the most brilliant minds I've ever met are those who recognize uh, that there is a God in heaven uh, who sent his only begotten son into this world. Uh, I'm glad this morning uh, for good book learning, but you hear me. Uh, thank God for those that know uh, that the beginning of knowledge actually comes from the fear of God. This this, this distinct wonder that they saw, that star that appeared, led them straight to where the Christ child was born. Note with me, if you would, please, all the way over where it says in verse 12, the last clause. We're going to jump around a little bit in the passages, but note what it says, the last clause. They departed into their own country another way. Now, what the Bible actually means here is because Herod is fixing to do some pretty damaging things. And so Herod uh, is, is, is getting ready to kill all the kids and getting ready to do some bad stuff to these learned men because they've come to worship somebody other than him. And he's fixing to show them who he really is. And so God intervenes. And instead of going back the way they came, they kind of take a little bit of a detour and God sends them a different way. Would you look at me this morning? Think back over the course of your life and how God has sometimes intervened in divine ways and redirected your paths and sent you in directions uh, that you never deemed possible, uh, didn't understand why it was happening at the time. Uh, maybe your heart hurt uh, over the things that was going on, uh, but you got to the point uh, where you realize you landed where he wanted you uh, and you stand back and say, thank God he took me a different way. I'm glad this morning. That those uh, who meet the king always leave different than the way they found him. Not only do you see the curiosity of these wise men, note the contempt of a wicked man. It should be as no surprise, it should come as no surprise, that these learned, educated, wise men would go to Herod, the current ruler, to say, where's the new king? 
Herod had been put in place. He was tetrarch over that region. He'd been put in place by Caesar, the ruling authority of Rome. And so it would not be unusual for these learned men to go to what we might think of as the governor of the region and say, hey, we hear that a new king's been born. Where is he? We've come to worship him. We saw his star. We know he's somewhere about here. Can you tell me where he is? The search was plain. They came to the Herod thinking that Herod would have more information. But of course, we know the story. Herod became very troubled at the thought of another king. Both biblical and secular history tell us that this Herod was an absolute madman. This Herod, this, this destruction of these children is well documented in secular history in addition to biblical history. He was a wicked man who wanted to destroy anyone who might threaten his reign. In fact, he even killed members of his own family out of concern that they were trying to take his throne. So it should not come as a surprise that this wicked, ungodly man wanted to find this baby and kill him. I have no doubt that Herod's, listen now, that Herod's actions were the result of satanic influence. What do you mean, preacher? One of the great things I encourage you to track throughout the Bible is how Satan tried to stop the birth of this baby. You can see over and over uh, so many little ways that Satan tried to stop the birth of the baby. Why? Because, hear me, because it's preaching time. Way back in the Garden of Eden, uh, God told Satan, you've bruised the hill, but there's coming somebody, big boy, uh, that's going to bruise your head. So for 6,000 years, uh, thousands of years, uh, the, Satan tried to stop the birth of that baby. Uh, but you look at me, uh, prophets foretold about it. Uh, Old Testament men acknowledged it, and I'm glad that there was no way, there was not enough darkness, there was not enough enemy, there was not enough evil, there was not enough Satan to stop the birth of God's child. Not only do you see the search, there was the slaughter. One of the most difficult parts of this passage to talk about is the Horrible action that Herod took. Another reason why we believe that it took likely some two years for these wise men to get to Jerusalem. Because when Herod took action, he didn't say, go slaughter all the newborn babes. He said, go kill all the children two years of old and younger. I don't, I don't, I'm going to run a rabbit trail. Can you imagine that level of wickedness? Well, let's not be surprised because we're seeing some of it today. Amen. Yeah, we want to start talking about infanticide in America. We're, amen. Yeah, we're in a scary spot. The wickedness, the evil, the nastiness, the horrible nature of this man becomes manifest. His paranoia becomes so real that he says, all right, I'll show them every child under two. Kill them. Can you imagine, mamas? I don't think there's a person in this room. Can you imagine the screams, the agonies, the cries that came out of Jerusalem? Soldiers, 
I don't want to be too graphic, but as soldiers came in and ripped babies out of their mama's arms, as word begins to spread and perhaps people even try to flee to get away from the wrath of the soldiers and they're hunted down. Listen, this was the first attempt to keep Christ out of Christmas. And for 2,000, amen, for 2,000 years since, the enemy's done it all over again. The enemy's smart, folks. He realizes uh, that all over the world, uh, around the December holiday, that people turn their eyes, their attention uh, towards that little baby born in a manger. And he does everything he can to keep Christ out of Christmas. I, I, I was asked one time if, 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 if it was appropriate to say Merry Christmas anymore. And my response is, I think we ought to take it a step further and call it Merry Christmas. Amen. You see, folks, there has always been a desire to keep Christ out of Christmas. Number one, the curiosity. Number two, the contempt. I love this. Number three, the clarity. Listen to what I'm about to say. These wise men were too smart for Herod's foolishness. These wise men, God revealed to them clarity. God gave them wisdom. God gave them understanding. And so they recognized, they realized, they understood that something evil was awry. And then just as miraculously, God shows up all over again. What do you mean, preacher? Go to verse number nine. When they heard the king, they departed. And lo, the... I hear so uh, only handfuls of preachers I ever hear talk about this. We tried to dramatize it, but I want you to know what it says. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. All of my life, I heard preachers talking about the star that was in the heavens the day Jesus was born. But if I'm reading this right, and I believe I am, and there are handfuls of scholars who are aligned with this, God didn't just show up once, he showed up again. So 18 months, two years later, uh, when Herod's getting ready uh, to slaughter all this, mm, when Herod's getting ready to do the most evil thing he can, God drops that star in heaven one more time as if to say, I'm still here. In the very wickedest, nastiest moment uh, that the enemy could manifest, that anything evil he could do, uh, the most horrendous action uh, that the enemy could take, uh, God says, hey, wise people, uh, hey, wise men, uh, I'm still here. Uh, and he plops that star right back into the heavens for a second time. And that's why in verse 10 it says, and when they saw the star... They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I can imagine, hey, fellas, is that it? Is that the one we saw two years ago? It's moving. That's what the Bible says. It went in front of them and began to direct them. And so they followed the star as if they were on a homing device. And it stopped right over the house, not the manger, not the inn. Stopped right over the house. 
where the baby was. I'm glad this morning that when you need him most, just like he did to amen, just like he did 2,000 years ago, when you need him most, he has no problem divinely manifesting himself in such a way that he's like a homing device drawing you straight to him. And when you see him, you begin to realize that's my God. Note, if you would, not only the rising of the star, but the revealing of the Savior. A couple of other ways I'll show you that this wasn't Christmas morning. Notice what it says when they come into the house. They saw the young child. Doesn't say they saw the baby. Doesn't say they came to the manger. Doesn't say they came to the inn. It says they went to the house and they saw the young child. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I love pictures of the nativity. We have them at our house. It's a reminder of the reason for the season. My mother, who you understand, grew up most of her life in rural parts of Virginia and West Virginia, was not a jokester. She could never remember jokes to tell. She would start them, but before she could finish them, she forgot them. Can I get a witness? Anybody know what I'm talking about? But there were one or two that she always remembered. She jokingly said uh, the time that she went to the little church and there was the beautiful, beautiful manger scene and there was Mary and Joseph and there was the, the, the baby in the manger and the shepherds. And then there were these three people dressed in fire truck uniform and a, and a helmet and full fire garb. And she said, what is this? And her mama said, they came from afar. <laughs> Country people know exactly what I'm talking about. Amen. Amen. I love the pictures of the nativity. It's a reminder to us that there was uh, people there on that first day worshiping this child. But here's what I really like. Two years, 18, two, um, 18 months, two years later, they come to the place where that star is hanging, uh, the house uh, where Mary and Joseph are. Uh, they know who he is. Uh, they, they worship him. They don't worship Mary. They worship the child. Joseph is not there at this particular moment. May we understand this morning that this was no ordinary birth, that this was no ordinary child. May we understand that even as the infant in the manger or as the toddler on the knee or as the 12-year-old in the temple or as the 30-year-old speaking or as the 33-year-old hanging on the cross, that this was no ordinary man. He was the Son of God the Messiah, the Emmanuel. He was the Savior of the world, the one prophesied in the Old Testament, the one at whom God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. May we be just like these wise men, worshiping. Number one, the curiosity. Number two, the contempt. Number three, the clarity. And finally, number four, the Christ. I've tried to imagine in my mind, the joy and splendor, but also the shock and astonishment these Chaldeans felt as they came upon the little house where Jesus was. Remember, 
it would not be unusual. In fact, it was very customary for the Chaldeans to show up at the birth of a king, a future king. But they would usually head to the palace. That's why they went to Herod. They'd usually go to the, to the place where the kings resided. Uh, I have no doubt that they thought they would see a mansion. They thought they'd see gold. They thought they'd see the palace. Uh, they thought they'd see all the trappings of royalty. But they saw a little house, a little ramshackle by the wayside. And I can't help but wonder if as the star stopped and they made their way, they thought, here? He's here. You see, what they didn't know and what we have the benefit of the knowledge of today is he wasn't just the king of the Jews. He's the king of us sorry Gentiles as well. And in order for him to be the savior of the world and the king of the Gentiles, he couldn't be born at the palace. He had to be born in a manger. In order for him to save sorry, wretched, horrible man like you and me, in order for him to be the savior of sinful people, he had to be lowly in birth. And so he walks in, or rather they walk in and they see a toddler with his mama. You know what the Bible says they did? Worshipped him. You know, forgive me. It's one thing for a baby to be laying in a manger, having just been born, and for people to fall at their knees and say, that's my king. But if you've ever been around a rambunctious two-year-old toddler, I don't think they sit still long enough for anybody to worship them. I mean, Jesus was a toddler. He was a normal, average toddler. And so I can't help but think if he's being uh, like a toddler, being a little bit rambunctious, being a little bit uh, like a little two-year-old boy, and maybe they're bouncing up and down trying to catch him and watch him. And meanwhile, they're saying, that's the king. How do you know? Because they bring in their gifts. Gifts, listen now, that would make sense for a royal-born child but not Mary and Joseph. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. By the way, those gifts weren't accidental. Those were divinely planned. Number one, God knew Joseph's going to need some money when he gets to Egypt. And so these are expensive gifts, uh, gifts that can be sold, uh, gifts that can be utilized to keep them alive uh, during this sojourney down to Egypt. But why these gifts, gold? You know the story, but for those who don't, let me tell you, gold represents deity. This was the perfect gift for a king. The gold said, he's royal, he's divine. I lay this at his feet, bouncing up and down. Hopefully he doesn't kick it over. But then frankincense frankincense and incense used to worship, used in sacrifice, frankincense used in the Old Testament over and over to waft up a sweet-smelling savor unto God. But here's the really strange one, myrrh. Myrrh is the equivalent of our modern-day embalming fluid. 
Can you imagine coming to a baby shower with embalming fluid? Ooh. But it was the perfect gift for this child. Because he's born to die. I don't know. But I can't help but think if Mary didn't look at the gold and say, that's my king. Look at the frankincense and say, what a gift. And look at the myrrh and her heart breaks. She's reminded one more time. Listen, story for another time. He wasn't just virgin conceived. He was virgin born. And she realizes this virgin born child was born to save her from her sins. And in that moment, this caravan of believers, this caravan of Chaldeans worshipped and made their journey back home. So the next time we sing, we three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following Yonder star, star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright. Westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. Would you look at me? I'm done. Wise people, they're still following the star. Let's stand to our feet this morning. The kin come get us a song to sing. Nobody's looking. <clears throat> every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would, please. I'm going to ask you very quickly, how many of you would be honest this morning and say, Preacher, I'm, I'm saved. But there's something that we're dealing with. that We need the heavenly light of God to shine and show His will for our lives. Can I see your hands, boy? I, I pr- wow, wow, all over the building. I appreciate that. You can put them down. I appreciate that. There are a lot of people this morning while Ken was singing or wiping tears. If you raised your hand or you're one of those folks and you want to make your way to this altar, come on and step out right now. Christmas time is a good time to bring stuff to the throne. Amen. Lay it at the altar. Let me ask you a second question. Is anybody here this morning that would say, Pastor? My greatest need is salvation. My greatest need is to know if I died today that heaven would be my home. Please pray for me. Anyone like that this morning? I need to be saved. Father, thank you, Lord, for your presence. Bless the invitation now. In Jesus' name I pray. Brother Ken, sing us a verse, if you would.
my Savior, I come to would you, would you look this way for me? You all know I love hymnology. I love to study the story behind hymns. This is written by Annie Hawks. Annie Hawks testifies that she wasn't a songwriter. She wasn't a poet. She didn't know anything about songwriting, but she was standing at her window. This is in the early 1900s. Standing out her window, doing dishes, and was struck by the reality that even in the most minute, mundane things of life, she needed the Lord. She finished the plates, finished the saucers, went back and wrote, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Can we sing the first verse together? Let's all sing it this morning. Look this way. Let's sing it all over the building. I need thee. Father, God, we're all thankful the Lord was able to be here today. God, I know you spoke to hearts today, Father, and you lifted us up. And, Father, we praise you for your son, Jesus Christ. God, we are definitely a needy people. God, this world is in need of a great Savior. God, I'm thankful, Lord, the day that I trusted you as my Lord and Savior. God, thank you for saving my soul from hell. God, as you did for the whole entire world. God, if it be someone here today that's not for sure about that, God, we pray, Lord, they'd make it right. Well, this day's over with, Lord. They could contact the pastor, contact me, other people in the church, Lord, could show them how they can know Christ as Savior. Father, that is the greatest gift of all, the gift you give to this world, your only begotten Son. Father, we love you. It's only because you loved us first. It's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.